Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Hello and welcome to The Reading Life, your weekly look at the Louisiana literary scene. I'm Susan Larson. This week we'll be talking with Gary Cernovitz, whose new novel is The Counting House. And Megan Holt previews the Words and Music Festival. New Orleans writer Gary Cernovitz spends a lot of time thinking about money. He's worked for Goldman Sachs and has spent nearly 20 years at a private equity firm where he is now a managing director. This experience has led to two novels, The Contrarians and Great American Plain, a nonfiction book, The Green and the Black, The Complete Story of the Shale Revolution, The Fight Over Fracking and the Future of Energy, as well as a busy career in financial journalism. Today, we're talking about his newest novel, The Counting House. Gary Sarnovitz, welcome to The Reading Life. Thank you for having me. So, which do you enjoy more, managing money or writing about it? Writing about it. I uh, thought so. so. And the, irony, <laughs> the irony of it, the writing about it doesn't lead to it. So one has to, uh, in the circularity of it, actually do it to be able to write about it. Now, it's such a loaded issue for most of us. You'll never run out of material. So, so talk a little bit about that nexus of money and emotion, particularly self-worth, and, and money as a literary inspiration. Yeah, so when I thought about the book and, you know, and a lot of uh, justifications for a book and, and rationale always come after, after you write it, but I've always, you know, kind of admired the, the big 19th century novels where they kind of merged, uh, to your point, ideas and feelings. And what, I, what I've always found in, in a lot of books that are set in, in finance, uh, you know, finance is, is sort of a backdrop. It's a it's a book about you know, kind of consumer, rich, you know, consumer consumption and conspicuous consumption, and rich people, and they need jobs, so you put them in finance. Or a book about you know, a young person making her way up in the city, and, and you kind of set it in a bank. But, but generally, the ideas of investing, the ideas of money, of how it grows and how you invest, tend to tend to kind of be you know, thinly researched and, and, and not the point. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. In this book, I'm kind of trying to reverse that. Where, where, and this is stealing a phrase from uh, James Woodward, the, the fabric of the book rather than the backdrop is investing, uh, it, but in a novel that's also dealing with things the novels should always deal with of what it means to live today and what, what, why am I here and, and what is success and what is failure and how do I balance all these uh, forces uh, besetting. Now, you're doing this against the story of the chief investment officer of a prestigious university. And he has got a problem. So tell us about him and what he's facing in this story. Yeah, and, you know, and I think all novels, uh, Henry James, you know, kind of have to create an ado, you know, ado, as he said. And so the ado in this case is a person coming off, you know, uh, before the novel set, you know, some very, very good years of relative performance and self-worth and esteem from his community. In this case, uh, when the novel starts, you know, we kind of catch him a third into a period where nothing is going right. 
you know, you know, not, you know, on, on the surface, his fault. But you know, uh, you know, and, and ultimately he is judged for the decisions he has made. And so, you know, and sort of the tightening tension of the novel, trying to deal with the day to day of of how he does his job and how he deals with his staff and how he deals with the trustees of the university and the president of the university and and lots and lots of the Wall Street folks coming in and, and pitching him ideas. A tightening of, of sort of why isn't this working? Why was I good? Why am I not good now? And kind of uh, the novel ends kind of a big scene where he faces the most uh, kind of uh, famous in, in finance, sort of reclusive uh, graduates of this university, of uh, a kind of a showdown of his values, his ideas, his, his sense of self worth. Well, one of the tricks of writing a book about finance is that you have to pitch it at two levels. You have to reach out to the readers who are going to know what you're talking about. And then you're going to have to write for the readers who may not necessarily follow everything, of which I count myself. I mean, so so that's a kind of balancing act that you had to follow all the way through. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the book is a daily, the writing of the book was a daily struggle around, you know, generally the things of novels you struggle with, but that very, very specific question first and foremost, because you don't want this novel to be pedantic for people in it who are probably the ones most kind of excited to read it, but you also don't want it to be sort of, I mean, uh, I, I at least don't want it to be sort of, uh, you know, uh, aggressively impenetrable. <laughs> and so it's, it's yeah, you're, you're on the tightrope. It is a balancing act. Yeah. You add a word here, you know, you take a word out there, you add a phrase, you know, you have various editor, you know, editorial input, you have friends, you have readers who say this chapter, you know, the balance is wrong uh, on either end, but it's it's, it's definitely the chief uh, struggle of, of writing this. And, you know, and it's going to succeed with some. It has succeeded with some, but as I like to joke, my mother uh, told me a third of the way into it, I love you, son, but uh, I'm done here. <laughs> oh, it happens. It happens. But one of the things you do in this book is give us a, a rundown of the various dilemmas and ethical questions of investing, as well as the types of investing themselves. Yeah, and it's trying to be, you know, the, the novel trying to work just as a character alive, what it means, you know, what, what, what this person means to his life today. But there's a sort of a secondary sort of educational purpose, if you will, from almost, almost a primer of, of how finance works and 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 so trying to get a pretty broad, purposely broad exposure through through you know the, the, the people who come in through this investment office of this uh, fictional university, you know, and trying to uh, you know kind of add to the library of say, New Orleans' most famous uh, product in this genre of liars poker uh, <laughs> that right. you you know that you're you're given. You know, and, and Michael Lewis is very, you know, funny about, you know, still being given, you know, how people 20, 30, 35, I guess, 35, 40 years later, still given the book on their first job in Wall Street, which it was never meant to be an inspiring tale or a job manual <laughs> or, right. or that. But, uh, so this is trying with similar, you know, through fiction, obviously, and not nonfiction, to kind of be, you know, this is this is the world you're entering, this is the language, this is the feelings, but there also these other specific ideas people are wrestling with. Well, one of the ideas you wrestle with and your character wrestles with and several of the characters in the book wrestle with is the idea of doing good by doing well. I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about that because we have certain expectations of universities and their investments and there are a lot of stakeholders who feel they should be considered. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the novel opens or the second scene 
with with the chief investment officer really recoiling at that phrase, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and overreacting in a way. And I think that's largely because, you know, that's at the core of what he is trying to do. But it's, you know, it, it is a compromise in, in, a, in a sense of kind of the, the doing well is making a lot of money. And so, you know, he talks a lot about how much he's paid relative to professors at a university. The doing good is, is actually contributing and whether, you know, they could have just invested all their money in a, you know, an S&P 500 index fund and not paid them anything. You know, it, it sort, of, sort of the doing good, there's that aspect. And if he feels like he's actually failing at it, you know, it sort of just tightens all of that, uh, you know, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that is driving him, um, you know, kind, kind of a little bit mad. But I did purposely set the novel, you know, in a, in a place and, and pick a protagonist that, you know, his the, the doing well, or I guess doing, I never know which, which is which, I guess, but the doing good of, of really <laughs> helping support this university and helping it to give scholarships and fund research, like he, he believes in that mission sincerely, even as he fails himself, right. uh, you know, uh, on, 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 on a lot of ways. Talk a little bit about your narrative structure here, because this is such a tightly focused book, and, and sometimes it's a little claustrophobic. And you feel well, you, the pressure. Yeah, I mean, you should have read the earlier draft. So I was very <laughs> uh, under, under uh, the school of Rachel Cusk mm-hmm. when, I, when I wrote this book originally, and it was really... You know, the uh, Hollywood, Hollywood, uh, um, you know, kind of summary was Rachel Cusk meets Michael Lewis, which is like no one ever like, well, no one really wants that, Gary. But uh, I, I can do it. I can do it. Do what I want. Uh, subject to people publishing. But, you know, and as you know, Rachel Cusk is very, very tight, very claustrophobic, almost all set in dialogue in the Erez a lot, you know, especially at the early. And, and you know, you take a few, di- you know, to kind of get get the vibe. And and so. You know, I think that original vision, because this is a novel of ideas, this is trying, you know, very much to avoid Wall Street novels being about, you know, the name brands of the watches and and all the other stuff that, that so often kind of become cliches of the genre, that it was a very, very austere, claustrophobic. And I remember, uh, you know, and in drafts, it kind of opens up a bit. And I remember one editor who was not an editor of a book, but kind of an acquaintance editor who read it and said, you know, Gary, why don't you just have the character like walk outside at one point? <laughs> I was like, that's radical. It breaks the format. It's, it's impossible. It's like, and then I you know, thought about it. It's like, okay, I might as well do that. And uh, interestingly, a lot of people are like, you know, Gary, my favorite chapter is when he actually walks outside as <laughs> <laughs> a way to kind of just clear it before he enters more, more, more tight conference rooms. I wanted to ask you, and since you did mention it, did you have any trepidation about mentioning real people in this book? Yeah, I, I have a very kind of private kind of rubric of like who I mentioned and who I didn't mention, where, uh-huh. you know, the, the university is very much fictional. And I, and I you know, play games a bit with readers who think they know what it is. Like, this must be UVA, or this must be Cornell, or this must, you know, based on the endowment size and the campus. And I'll mention those universities, you know, in a third-person way, so so it couldn't be that. Yeah. Uh, but 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 all of the you know main, um, you know, kind of financial institutions are all fictional. They're, you know, some wherever composite meets imagination meets you know uh, you know anything where there's not really any traceable, with with exception of you know, for the most part, just referring to other institutions that you know it kind of 
don't play a central role in it, but are kind of mentioned. Uh, and, and there it was like, you know, you're not going to be the real subject of any specific chapter or, 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 or that. But they're also pretty powerful institutions that will survive well and thrive despite a novel written by Gary Cernovitz that will be <laughs> read <laughs> by however dozens of people read uh, literary novels these days. So, you know, it was one where yeah, anyone mentioned by name but not the central they, and also they can, right. they can take it, uh, uh, you know, and, but I, but I, I, you know, I really, you know, the, the, the novel is not a satire. You know, there's obviously some dramatic heightening and, and, and it's trying to be, you know, very funny. It but, is you know, no very one, funny. Thank you. Thank you. But it's, it's, and it's trying to be kind of, James Wood again, like a comedy of forgiveness, you know, that we're all in this together and this is a human condition rather than a comedy of correction or kind of taking down these institutions or these people, you know, in, in sort of satirical ways. Well, we've been talking with Gary Cernovitz, whose newest novel is The Counting House. You can meet him when he appears in conversation with Nathaniel Rich, Monday, November 13th at 6 at Octavia Books. Gary, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. coming up this month is Words and Music, a literary feast in New Orleans, and it's coming up fast. It's November 15th through 18th at the Andre Caillou Community Center, as well as other venues locally. And here to give us a preview is Executive Director of One Book, One New Orleans and Words and Music, Megan Holt. Megan, welcome! Hi, Susan. So glad to be here today. It's your time of year. <laughs> it is. Booked and busy and loving it. Booked and busy is right. So talk about what you're working on for Words and Music this year. This is such a strong year for musical offerings. Not that it isn't always, but this year, they're dear to my heart and to yours, I know. Absolutely. So before I really get going on what we're offering for music, I have to shout out Melissa A. Weber, who has been instrumental in bringing these events to the festival this year. So thank you, Melissa, for all your labor. She is interviewing Danny Bedrosian on November 15th at 6.30 with the official canon of Parliament Funkadelic. It's basically the definitive book on Funkadelic's discography, and Bedrosian is uniquely qualified to write it because he has been P-Funk's keyboardist for the past 20 years. So we really get to learn about P-Funk from the source. And then two nights later, also at 6.30, we get to learn not only about P-Funk, but Sly and the Family Stone and other amazing acts from Dawn Silva with her new autobiography, The Funk Queen. And it tells her tale of growing up. She was um, in Louisiana for a while as a child and really talking about how Louisiana, and particularly New Orleans, set her up for the national stage and what it was like being a woman in a primarily male dominated music mm-hmm. industry. And that book is just out in time for words and music. 
That book was released in February. The Funk Queen was. The but Bedrossian's book on the definitive Parliament Funkadelic discography is actually launching for the first time ever at Words and Music. That's exciting. I'm thrilled. Don't you love it? I love the idea of a book launch. I mean, I'm this <laughs> mental image taking off, which is very exciting. So then you have one of the things I love, a poetry tribute to Tina Turner. Yes, and shout out to Kelly Harris DeBerry for curating that event. We're really excited. I feel like when Tina Turner passed, we did not give her her flowers in New Orleans. So it's time to honor Tina Turner in some way. And the best way I can think of to do that is to have five women poets really paying homage to who she was and what she was and the way that she gave us so much strength. And after that, we really need to open it up to all the voices we can. So we're having an open mic after the reading. So come prepared to the poetry tribute to Tina Turner at Whiskey and Sticks at 8.30 p.m. on Friday, November 17th with your poetry about Tina Turner and other women icons and prepare to share. And who are the five poets reading that night with Kelly? Louisiana Poet Laureate Allison Pellegrin. Well done. <laughs> right. <laughs> Kelly herself is reading. Chicondria Icon Sibley, mm-hmm. Keisha Brown, and Valentine Pierce. Now that is the lineup. Kelly's good at what she does. Doing Tina Turner proud, too. (laughs) Yes, indeed. All right. Now, another thing that's going on this time is it's a great year for poetry. It's just a great time for poetry. So much is going on locally. And, you know, that's reflected in the words and music programming, of course. So talk a little bit about that because you have a variety of things. Yes. So we have our annual Poets and Po'boys. It's the most fun poetry lunch you'll ever go to. It's curated by Stacey Balkin this year. We've also got a UNO Press Showcase featuring two local poets, Sonny Patterson and Raymond Moose Jackson. Mm -hmm. We have Poetry Building Bridges, and I'm really excited about that one. It's Father Amde Hamilton in conversation with Tiffany Guillory Thomas And they're going to be talking about how Father Hamilton, Father Amde, that's how he prefers to be called, was inspired by the Afro-Creole poetry collection that was published by the Historic New Orleans Collection. Oh, right. Yes. And he is, if you don't know him, one of the founders of the Watts Prophets Poetry Collective in the 1960s and 1970s out in California. And that poetry collective actually also recorded a couple of albums. And Father Amde says that they're actually the beginning of hip-hop, which I think is an interesting connection because all around the country, this has been the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Right. So it'll be interesting to bring that into the conversation as well. Excellent. We have one more thing. The Last Night. The Last Night is going to be a spectacular reading by Alison Pellegrin. Yes. Alison Pellegrin, in conversation with Sky Jackson, who is a phenomenal local poet in her own right, And that will culminate at Community Book Center at 6 o'clock p.m. on the 18th. So you're starting off with Parliament Funkadelic and ending with Pellegrin. Yes. (laughs) It's the peas. From Parliament to Pellegrin. (laughs) As you know, we shifted from you know, a primarily paid model to a primarily free model. Mm -hmm. And I think that... 
the number of people who have told me that this feels like the most accessible and inclusive literary festival they attend every year is the measurement of success for me. How many people are we giving access to the arts in a variety of ways? That's a wonderful way to look at it. Now, how have you worked to distinguish words in music from other festivals? Because we have so many. Mm-hmm. You know, they each have a particular little place in the mm-hmm. literary year. So what is your, you know, your heart's desire for it? My heart's desire is for everyone who walks through the doors to feel welcome and to see themselves in some way reflected in the lineup of programming we have. Well, that's an excellent goal. Yeah. All righty then. Is there anything else you'd like to tell people to look for at this year's festival? Well, if we're going with the peas, we've got to mention Prince. <laughs> Prince. <laughs> yes. yes. Let's talk about Prince. I know you're a big Prince fan, as am I. I am a big Prince fan, and I could not have been more excited. I did not direct this. A local group, Ebb and Flow, reached out to me and said, we're a spoken word and music collective, and we would love to do something. So I explained to him what words and music was and what we try to accomplish, And he said, I'd like to do something called Controversy, Prince and James Baldwin, and basically putting Prince and James Baldwin's art in dialogue, because those are two who never shied away from controversy. And what a beautiful noise. Right? That's going to be incredible. I cannot wait. I absolutely cannot wait. And, And I think that's how you know you're doing it right, when people are bringing you ideas like that. Yes. Saying, I've seen your vision. This is my vision. How can they work together? Exactly. It's all about community. You know, right. you can't get there by yourself. You got to have help. And you work hard all year round to make this thing happen. <laughs> we sure do. Now, any words about um, One Book, One New Orleans while you're here? Sure. I was actually so hoping you would ask that. <laughs> so hard the festival <laughs> this year and every year doesn't just benefit our city for four days. The festival every year... Any proceeds we raise from donations and sponsorships go right back into our city. The mission of One Book, One New Orleans, which is the organization that directs words and music, is to break down barriers that prevent people in our community from accessing books. So it's a festival with a purpose. We've got some things coming up in December um, around our 2023 selection, Maurice Carlos Ruffin's The Ones Who Can't Say We Love You. And then on December 18th, we'll be announcing our 2024 selection. We've got a ton of programming. We're also going to be continuing in 2024 our initiatives that are brand new this year. We started a book club at the Orleans Parish Jail. And we also started a book club at Hotel Hope, which provides emergency housing for women and children who otherwise wouldn't have a roof over their heads. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So when you come to Words and Music, that's the kind of thing you support. So Words and Music will end and you'll slide right into One Book, One New Orleans. We've been talking with Megan Holt, who's the executive director of One Book, One New Orleans, and Words and Music, a literary feast in New Orleans. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you for having me, Susan. Here's what's on tap in the literary life this week. Jenna Bush Hager and Barbara Pierce Bush sign Love Comes First, Friday, November 10th at 4 at the Garden District Bookshop. Stephen Ray, author of Finn McCool's Football Club, 
appears at the Saturday Writers Clinic with two presentations for writers of all levels. Beginning at 9.30 a.m. Saturday, November 11th at the East Bank Regional Library, he'll discuss raising the stakes in your story, followed by Q&A. The sessions are for beginners or experienced writers, free of charge and open to the public. No need to register. Donna Glee Williams discusses and signs her new novel, The Night Field, accompanied by a performance by vocalist-composer Lynn Morgan Rosser, whose songs for The Night Field were inspired by that book. It's Saturday, November 11th from 3 to 4.30 at Octavia Books. There will be a Mad Men-themed book fair for grown-ups Saturday, November 11th from 6 to 8 at Broad Street Cider. Tickets are required and available at Blue Cypress Books. Gary Cernovitz appears in conversation with Nathaniel Ridge to discuss The Counting House, Monday, November 13th at 6 at Octavia Books. Lucky Bean Poetry Night takes place Monday, November 13th at 6.30 at Blue Cypress Books. Bob Becker discusses and signs New Orleans City Park from Tragedy to Triumph, Tuesday, November 14th at 7 at the East Bank Regional Library in Metairie. Jonathan Taplin discusses and signs The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling Fantasy Future of the Metaverse, Mars, and Crypto, Wednesday, November 15th at 6 at Octavia Books. Nathan Hale discusses and signs Above the Trenches. That's number 12 in Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales series. Thursday, November 16th at 4.30 at Octavia Books. Joan O'Sara and Bethany McLean discuss and sign The Big Fail, what the pandemic revealed about who America protects and who it leaves behind. That's Tuesday, November 14th at 6 at Garden District Bookshop. Former St. Malcolm Jenkins discusses and signs What Winners Won't Tell You, Lessons from a Legendary Defender. Tuesday, November 14th at 6 at McGee School Book Fest, sponsored by Garden District Bookshop. This is a ticketed event. Andre Darlington discusses and signs a booze and vinyl Christmas, Thursday, November 16th at 6 at Garden District Bookshop. And the big event this month is Words and Music, a Literary Feast in New Orleans, coming up November 15th through 18th at the Andre Caillou Community Center, as well as other community venues. Check out wordsandmusic.org for the complete schedule. Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books, with major support from Rouse's Markets. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation, the Jefferson Parish Public Library, and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in The Reading Life do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. The theme song for The Reading Life is by Matt Perrine and Sunflower City. The Reading Life is produced by George Ingmeyer and is a production of WWNO. You can listen to us anytime or subscribe to our podcast at WWNO.org. And you can email us at the Reading Life at WWNO.org.